So let's begin by reading Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there's a, there's a little dialogue there that, that might not make sense, but basically Job is saying what all good listeners say. Lord, this is what I heard. And the Lord doesn't correct him, so he must have gotten it right. And that's why his silent response to Job is an indication that Job's on the right track, so that finally he says, therefore I repent with dust and ashes. We're now taking our final look at the book of Job, and we notice it's all about repentance. And it's interesting that his repentance is associated with dust and ashes. Do you remember when he was at his worst, and he was lying in dust and ashes, mourning the deaths of his loved ones, the destruction of his life, basically, in so many ways. You remember how his friends, when they saw him in that condition, tore their robes and covered themselves in dust and ashes? It's a way that is as ancient as, as human history, really, that people have found to associate themselves with the dead. We don't cover ourselves in dust and ashes anymore, but if you notice in some traditions, even today in this church family, there will be a tendency to dress in all black for a funeral, for example. It's the same kind of idea. It's sort of like covering yourself in dust and ashes. It's a sign of mourning, but it's also a way of identifying with the darkness of death. In fact, in every graveside service I've ever done, I've always said the words... Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We commit this body to the elements, to the ground. And so it's a very central idea around death, dust and ashes. So why then, in his day of repentance, does Job associate his repentance with dust and ashes? Well, as you've learned, I think, and probably many of you already knew, grief is a kind of death. It's an it's a experience that we naturally have whenever it seems as though something has changed forever, we have grief. So loss of a job, change in your natural environment, something that, that always, you know, if you had a tree that shaded your backyard for decades and then a storm blew it down, you'll experience grief because something has changed forever. So with that being said, what Job is saying in his repentance is, I'm grieving my offense. I'm feeling grief because I had a strong conviction that it turned out to be wrong and I have given it up. So when we repent, truly repent, we feel grief because we finally given up what we felt sure of. 
Now, Job was sure that he was angry with God, and he was sure that he had justification for his anger. Job felt sure that he was angry with his friends, and he felt justified in his anger. And then he realized he was wrong, and so something that seemed fixed in his life, in his mind, had changed forever, and he grieved because he was wrong, and then he became convicted of his wrongness so that it changed his point of view forever. I'll even go so far to say, after my own careful self-examination through many of these kinds of experiences, that you begin to realize that every time there is conflict between us and someone else, repentance will inevitably lead to permanent change because the relationship is shaped differently after that. You take a couple, for example, who's been married for many years. They'll tell you that each disagreement that they worked their way through only made the marriage stronger. They'll tell you that the relationships they have have improved with the various changes of heart. Now, that isn't to say that if you fight all the time, it's going to turn, eventually turn into a wonderful marriage, you know. I want to talk to somebody about that. But in, in the reality of most relationships, we just disagree sometimes, and then we have to admit when we're wrong, and we have to make peace with that in a way that reshapes the relationship permanently, and there's grief. This is the nature of repentance, true repentance always involves dust and ashes, or grief. And that's what we're learning in this story. Job is repenting, and he finds himself in the dust and ashes yet again. What I've found in my life is, is that whenever I'm really angry with God, sooner or later I'm going to realize that the error was mine. It's just a question how long it takes for me to figure that out. But... What I've learned from that is, is that in most of the human relationships, if not all of the human relationships, there's usually repentance needed in both cases. Now, I want to tell you a little secret that I've learned, and I believe it comes right out of Scripture. In fact, it's what we've learned about Job and his friends. What I've realized is, is that one of the surest ways to forgive another person with whom you have discord is to apologize to them. Now, I want you to think about what I just said because it doesn't make a lick of sense, does it? It's offensive to you to think that someone who has deeply hurt you or been so completely wrong deserves an apology from you. If it is because your pride is injured and you can't stand the thought of that person being vindicated by your apology, it's a pride problem. That's sin and that needs to be reconciled with God. If, on the other hand, you have grieved what has changed forever in your relationship with this other person because of your discord, and you're ready to repent of the discord, you'll find in your heart a way to apologize. Because in my experience, and I believe Bible teaching affirms this, what more often than often happens is that I start out with the noblest of intentions. I intend to be the better person in this burgeoning discord that is, exists between me and another person. 
But you know, after the tension rises and enough ill wind blows, I descend to a place I don't want to go. I find myself thinking thoughts about another person that I really shouldn't. I find myself disparagingly remarking about that person, if only in my mutterings to myself in my car or something like that. I find that my spirit has become far less noble. And I realize that whether anyone else in the world knows it, my heart has changed towards this person with whom I disagree to the extent that I bear angry thoughts towards them in my heart. I believe Jesus said that if you have that kind of thought in your heart, and your head, you may as well murder them. And so in a way, I do have something to apologize for. Even if it means apologizing to somebody who will probably not change their mind. Who will probably say, well, it's about time. Well, nothing will teach you to be like Jesus quite like that experience. And what you will realize in that moment is, is that is exactly what Jesus went to the cross for. That is why he went to the cross. He essentially apologized to God the Father, our Creator, for my sin. He apologized for something he wasn't guilty of so that I could be right with God. And so what I'm going to challenge you to do today is take Job's example. Listen with your hand over your mouth and think about who you are who God is, and think about those human relationships that are damaged not only because someone else has offended you, and certainly one party could have a greater list of offenses than another, but if you want to forgive them and really make peace with it, if you want to let go of something that's troubled you for a long time, forgive them. And forgive them by apologizing for your part in the damaged relationship. And know in your heart exactly what you're forgiving and what you're apologizing for. Because if you don't, it's going to feel like you have surrendered something very personal. But if you do it in the right spirit and you put a lot of thought into it, what you're going to understand is that this is between you and the Lord anyway. This is, this is like you going to the cross to apologize for something that you're not really sure you should apologize for. Now, if you want to know why, I'm going to tell you again from very personal experience. Because I started accumulating grudges. And I got so many of them that I was starting to be overwhelmed by it at one point in my life. And I found this way of personal salvation of forgiving by asking for forgiveness and what I found was every time I did that I began to heal I found that every time I did that I will tell you a personal experience right now I was riding my lawnmower at the parsonage in Sullivan Indiana many years ago mulling over a grudge that I'd held against someone from my previous church who had deeply hurt me and offended me and I just couldn't stop ruminating over this. And then all of a sudden it hit me. 
I wasn't exactly a saint in that whole ordeal either. The worse the tension got, the worse I got. I did some stuff that I was ashamed of. And I could at least acknowledge that. And I kid you not, I can, in my mind's eye, I can see the very spot. I can remember the smell of the cut grass clippings. I literally stopped the lawnmower, like the kind of stop where you just get off the seat and it turns itself off. That kind of stop. I literally just stood up in the lawnmower, it quit running, and I went inside, sat down at my computer, wrote this person an email, and apologized to them for my part in the discord that had resulted from all the tension that existed between us. And no surprise, they wrote back and said, well, it's about time. No surprise, they said, well, we can understand, I can understand why you would feel that way. I can understand why you did what you did. No acknowledgement whatsoever that they'd ever done anything to me. And at first, it just irked me a little bit. But then I got back on the lawnmower. And by the time I finished the yard, I felt great. I felt amazing. It was like an energy drink for my soul. So I experimented with that concept and tried it in a few other ways and I've been doing it ever since and I'm telling you, it works. You will find then that in Job's story, it's the same way. He says to God, I am sorry. You know, he never did get all of his questions answered. He never did really figure out exactly how this all went down. But what he did know for sure about God was that God is big and mysterious. And there are just certain aspects of God that I can't get. But the one thing I can be sure of is God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Therefore, even when I don't understand God, I have to apologize when I push the limit. See, God listened patiently to Job when he complained, and he loved him for it. Think about the intimacy that you have with someone that allows you to feel free to open your heart and talk about things. Job experienced a kind of intimacy with God that allowed him to speak openly and honestly with God, and it was going fine until he started crossing a line that God couldn't let him cross. And that's when he says, hold it, Job. You're about to sin. Don't go there. And then, eventually, Job says, you're right, Lord, I'm sorry. And he's truly repentant. Repentant to the extent that he's grieving because something changed forever. But that doesn't always mean that it's bad. Sometimes we grieve our ineptitude and our failings in our relationship with God. And it leads us to a more in-depth relationship with God. Which is what we all desire, I believe. And so it may be that if you want to grow into a deeper relationship with God, you've got to tell God you're sorry about some things. Finally, I just want to say that this experience that has led me to be able to meet, maybe meet your needs with some wisdom as well as Bible study is all due to the fact that I didn't go it alone in all of these years of ministry. There were people around me, staff, pastors, lay people, and they all shaped me and formed me into the person I am today and, and as your pastor. And this is why it's been so important to me to say thank you to people, to thank the staff for being who they are, to thank the lay people of this church 
for who they are and what they contribute. Thank you for being the body of Christ. Thank you for being each a unique person. And if I've offended you, I'm happy to say I'm sorry. I think I'm good with everybody right now, but maybe I'm not. And if I'm not, tell me because it won't be easy, but I'll tell you I'm sorry because I know it'll lead towards a better relationship with you. I want to say thank you to you because, frankly, without you, it would only be as good as I can make it. And I already know that that's only so good. I, I want to add one more thing just while I've got the floor because I'm going to switch over here in a second to something more important than because it has to do with food. <laughs> but but I, want to, I want to tell you that uh, over the years... I've come to realize something. We talked about this in Sunday school, or Wednesday night Bible study, rather. You will find that the church has a lot of divine protection from direct onslaught, onslaught from Satan. In other words, the church is uniquely protected by God from a lot of direct attacks from Satan that you will see applied by Satan in other settings and other times. And so how does Satan get the church how does Satan cause pain to God's body, the church, Christ's body, the church? It's real simple. He, sow, he sows discord. Okay? You want to know where Satan is at work in your church? Look for where the discord is. Look for where broken relationships occur. Look where people are not apologizing for anything and not surrendering anything, and you will see Satan at work in the church. Guarantee you. Take a lesson from Job's humility. He forgave his friends, even Eliphaz, that little jerk. <laughs> right? He was a kid compared to the others. He forgave them all and commended them to God. And God, in response, said, well, if you guys will make these sacrifices, then for Job's sake, I'll settle this account with you and we'll be right. It's like Jesus. If you don't want Satan in your church, then you learn to keep peace with one another. Not the kind of peace that comes from not talking about it in the meeting, but talking about it on the phone or in the parking lot, okay? The kind of peace that says we will not allow Satan to enter this place and sow discord. And it means humility and the sacrifice of our pride and grief that leads to repentance. Those are the secrets to a church that blesses God. Therefore, when I tell you that today we're going to feed you a meal to thank you for all that you do, you should know right now that it won't be as good as you're used to. And for this, I apologize. And I'll assume by your laughter that I'm forgiven. And here's why. Because it's just Jill and Bethany and Laura and, and uh, I think that's about it down there getting this all ready for you. I ordered the food. <laughs> it won't be as good as when you guys help. It just won't because without you, it's only as good as we can make it. And we love you because of what you make it. And we thank you. I hope you thank each other. And with that, I'd like to pray for us again. Almighty God, thank you for your word, and thank you, thank you, thank you for the peace that passes understanding that comes through grace and forgiveness, first yours and then ours. 
Lord, help us to be unafraid of our grieving of sin, we pray. Amen. Thank you.